Well, good morning. Pastor Jim is back, but you have me for one more week. So, <laughs> the quiet yay, I'll take that. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Katie McGregor's husband. <laughs> Thought that's how we introduce ourselves now. Um, but I am uh, I'm the youth pastor, and uh, we are doing this series in Philippians, Joyful. And um, part of the reason, um, again, I, I'm, I'm doing this week is because last week uh, we started in Philippians 1, 27, all the way to 2 through 11. Uh, and honestly, that is just a huge passage. It's a, it's a lot to deal with, uh, not only in length, but just also in depth. And so we kind of thought we're going to do it twice. We're going to do a part one and a part two, um, because uh, if we do it one time, we're just, we're not, we're going to miss a lot. Um, and two times we'll still probably miss a lot, but at least now we can feel like we tried. And so we're going to do it kind of in two parts. And so uh, even if you want to get a little bit ahead, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Philippians 1.27 because we're going to look at this part two uh, of this passage. And so just to kind of remind you, last week we looked at this for the first time um, and our kind of overarching idea uh, really focused on two things. One, live a life worthy of the gospel. And two, really how Paul fleshed that out, which was have the mindset of Christ live a life worthy of the gospel, which was just like challenging calls, something that we could kind of just um, leave blank if we want and, and kind of mean open-ended. But, but Paul uh, really explains it. And, and one of the big things he explains with it is have a mindset of Christ. And so we spent a lot of time in especially verses 6 through 11 where, where Paul gives the example of what it means to have a mindset of Christ. Uh, how um, Christ, though he was God, right, the form of God, he had uh, all the power, all the blessings, all the glory, heavenly blessings, right, he had it all. He did not use those things for himself, for selfish ambition. He didn't exploit them. And again, this was a shock, right? It, you know, the gods of the day and the emperors of the day, the lords of the day, they did use their powers to exploit. A lot of times that happens still today. And so he's saying it's different. He didn't use his power to exploit. Instead, he, he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave. And in this ultimate humility, but also very active humility, we see that Christ, um, he actually descends into glory. And that because of that, there is this ultimate joy. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And that joy that is now given to us as well. Here's the thing, though, as we talk about the mindset of Christ and the challenge of, of living Christ's mindset, following Christ's mindset, um, I think a lot of times we can kind of get caught up in this idea of uh, staying very personal, of staying very personal and very individual, of i got to work on my own mindset. Um, it's like a devotional kind of thing. We're like journaling about it, reading on our own, kind of keeping things to the side. But what we're going to see today is that our mindset as followers of God, as followers of Jesus, our mindset also affects our community. Our mindset affects our community. Paul isn't just talking about mindset for individuals here. He's talking about to the community. He's looking at the church. And so the big idea today, if you're following along in the notes, the big idea that we're going to address throughout the whole thing is this. Having a Christ-like mindset will build a joyful community. Having a Christ-like mindset will build a joyful community. This isn't just a, a, an individual idea. This isn't just your own personal quiet time. 
This is something that's supposed to reach out throughout the whole church. Having a Christ-like mindset will build a joyful community. How I conduct myself doesn't just affect myself. It affects the community. And I think Paul really addresses this in Philippians and addresses it here. And um, I don't know about you, but uh, one of the challenges I think I often face reading these letters um, is that I think of the early church probably in an incorrect way often. I have this tendency to kind of um, read like the book of Acts and to see like all these crazy miracles that are happening, all these people that are giving their lives to Jesus, that are getting baptized, and like Acts 2, they're like selling off property and doing all these crazy things. And I have this tendency to just kind of like put the early church on a pedestal and to be like, you know, because they were around so close to when Jesus was actually there, they like got it. They knew what was going on. But I think what we see, and a reason why Paul has to talk about community so often, is because just like today, the early church was full of broken people. It was full of broken people, and it's full of people that struggled. They struggled with differences. And oftentimes there was, there was tension that was pulling apart churches. And so that's why this, this theme of, of community and joyful community and, and bringing in unity is so common and, and prevalent in the Bible because it was needed to be said time and time again. And I think it was especially needed for the church in Philippi. Think back to week one as, we were, as Pastor Jim is introducing the series and we're looking and we're being introduced to the characters of the church of Philippi. We're introduced to the first three at least named um, members of the church. And these first three named members of the church are so different. If you begin to think about them, you're like, how can these people create a joyful community? Because you have Lydia, and Lydia is this wealthy businesswoman. She is someone of high class, high status. She's a girl boss, right? She's killing it in the world. She's doing great. And because the Philippi is a Roman a colony, like she is in the Roman world with the status is so key, and she has a lot of it. So she is interacting with her city in, in a way where she has a lot of status and she has a lot of doors and, and different things that she can get into. But on the totally opposite side, of the, uh, the other side of the spectrum, we get introduced to this second kind of member where it's, it's this demon-possessed slave girl. And you're like, Lydia to her. And it's such a difference where Lydia is high status and wealthy, now you, you have someone who is poor, but also low status, the lowest. And because of that, she's been used and abused. And now she's only recently freed. And, and there's, she's experienced Philippi in a drastically different way than Lydia. And yet somehow in the middle, there's the jailer and his family and um, I think the jailer had his own hurdles to kind of get a pass to join this community because, um, one, he's a jailer, and um, Philippi is facing all this uh, kind of tension from Rome and the, the like, uh, emperor worship and all these different things and the connection with Rome. And, and you have uh, someone who people could easily see as, like, the bad guy who's, like, closely connected with Rome. And so how are these three people supposed to create a joyful community. And like, these aren't the only three converts, but I think kind of the point of calling them out is it, it gives an insight into how diverse this community is. They're very different. And so when Paul is saying, you need to live lives worthy of the gospel, 
you need to have the same mindset of Christ. He's not just saying you personally, in your own little circle, your own little day-to-day walk. He's saying you need to have this. It's not just your quiet time, it's communal. And because it's communal, it means unity, living in unity. And living in this kind of way produces joyful community. So look at the language that Paul uses at the very beginning of the section in verse 27 through 30. Paul is talking to them, and, and as he says it, we highlighted really this first verse, uh, 27 last week, which says, only live, a, uh, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's what we focus on. But look what comes after that. So that when I come and see you, or an absent and hear about you, I will know that you're standing firm in one spirit. You're striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. And in no way you're intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. And in this, God is, and in, and this is God's doing. I read that backwards. Uh, for he graciously granted you the privilege of not only believing in Christ, but also suffering for him as well. Since you are having the same struggle that you saw I have had and here that I still have. Point one, if you're following along, and, and that comes from this first bit, is uh, to build off the big idea. Joy, joyful community comes by being on the same team. Joyful community comes on by being on the same team. And so Paul's calling them to joyful community. And one of the first things we kind of see is joyful community comes from being on the same team. And then you may be thinking, Andrew, where are you getting that from? I don't see them use the word team anywhere in here. But there's a few different things that's kind of going on that are, that's building this. Uh, for starters, we need to think about the word that Paul's using. Because uh, when Paul is saying this, he's not saying the word you— He's actually using the, like, the communal you. So uh, for like a second, put on like your cowboy hat, get your southern accent. You've got to get the y'all element going on as Paul is writing this letter, right? Live y'all's life in a manner worthy of the gospel. When I come and see y'all, it's a communal you, right? He's not saying you, Brian Tuttle, need to do this. He's saying you, Philippi, PCC, it's a communal element, y'all. And so this first element is, right, again, we're, it's so different because we, we're individual culture, but there's this communal element first and foremost at play. And I think it's only uh, added to the, Brian's like a little scared right now. I think it's only added to the, to, the, uh, uh, to the fact that the way they interacted with the letter is different than the way that we often interact with the letter. Right, because oftentimes, uh, like we're either at home, we open up our Bibles and we're reading Philippians, and it's us in our room in our special chair, whatever, reading it, taking our moments. Uh, we're using our Bible app and we're playing it on our car ride as we're driving. Again, very individual experiences. But for them, one, most of them, a lot of them couldn't read, so they're not experiencing this letter in the same way that we often are. For them, they're gathering together, coming together as a church, and the letter is being read out loud. They're being read out loud, and so they're hearing the communal you and the communal element within the letter. It's kind of like, uh, I think they're kind of experiencing it like a, a sermon slash like play, probably not musical, but play like hybrid. And so they're, they're hearing it from up front for the first time, and, and all the people are going along, and they're cheering, and they're ooing, and they're aahing, and they're, they're whispering to their friends and nudging each other and making comments. They're hearing this in this communal language. The second thing I think we really see that, that pushes this team mindset is the language being used. 
Uh, Paul often uses a, a familial language, right? He likes to say brothers, sisters, or, or call um, uh, God Father to, to create this uh, a family element. But I think here he's kind of leaning into his sports side and he's using a bit more uh, team language, right? He uses this phrase, we need to stand firm in one spirit. You stand firm in one spirit. And it creates this idea of you've got to hold fast. You can't lose your ground. It's like a, a tug-of-war match, right? You've got to all hold together, and you have to work together to hold it back. If just one of you is holding on, and the rest of you are kind of taking it easy, like I often do at camp, it's not going to work. You're going to be pulled away. You've got to all hold the line. You've all got to dig your heels in. You've all got to work and you all have to, as he says, strive together. So it's not just that you've got to the, hold the line. If you want to make any progress, you've got to work in unison, right? You've got to count it off. One, two, three, pull. You can't all just be working at your own different pace. Strive together. He's creating this emphasis in a strength in numbers. Stand together. And I think it's almost a little bit of a, uh, like a, he's creating a strength in numbers. It might be like, why, why do we need to strive together? Um, but you see this kind of next little part where he says, so you won't be intimidated by your opponents. You won't be intimidated by your opponents. And they were, they were, they were facing challenges as a church. They were facing challenges, um, especially from the outside. So you, you need to, to stand together as a team, as a group, strengthen numbers, because there is someone standing against you. There is another team, in a sense, playing against you. So I think when we add up all the elements of the communal you, of it being read out loud and, and, and done with some, some energy and gusto and this team language, it doesn't necessarily feel like a little passage we're kind of reading quietly, um, but for them it, it might have been more of a Ted Lasso-esque like halftime speech, rallying the troops. You know, you're getting your butt kicked by Rome right now, but we're calling people together, we're rallying the troops, we're bringing them back together, getting them on the same page ready to face the challenges, pull together. And here's, I think, the other important thing, what, what leans into the team element. I think that oftentimes, a team mindset can be a Christ-like mindset. A team mindset, I think, can be Christ-like mindset because when done right, a team mindset puts others first. A winning team mindset puts others first. It's not about individuals. It puts others first. And you see in chapter 2, if you want to flip the page, again, that, that core, like, two sentences that comes in 3 and 4, where we see this Christ-like mindset of, of you need to uh, put others above yourselves. And I think it's a team mindset as well, where it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, verse 3, or conceit. But in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. There's a very well-known um, phrase in sports, and even if you're not a sports person, I'm sure you've heard it because it's been said forever, but basically uh, it's really well-known. It's There's no I in team, right? There's no I in team. Uh, and you, you definitely always start that off from a, a young age. You're like, you're little soccer kids or t-ball kids, and you're like, there's no I in team. And the little kid you can just see is like mentally spelling out team, and they're like, T-E-A-M. There is no I in team. Like the light bulb clicks. But there's that team mindset that, that goes actually a little bit side-by-side uh, side with a Christ-like mindset, right? The name on the front of the jersey is more important than the name on the back. 
uh, it's been mentioned a few times, but this year I joined uh, Peninsula High School's uh, baseball coaching staff. Um, last night, actually, uh, there's a picture. I was uh, in the crowd with Katie and my freshman, I coached freshmen, and my freshman team, we were cheering on varsity at their CIF championship game. So they're in the championships, um, and they won last night, the CIF champions, and um, this is a big deal for a few reasons. One, uh, they've been bad for a really long time. <laughs> they have a culture of losing and, and dysfunction and problems, and this year they brought in a whole new coaching staff from scratch. You can take that down. A whole new coaching staff um, from scratch, and I think one of the things that this new coaching staff, especially led from the top, um, that we did really well is create this team mindset, team identity, team culture. To create it, it, you can't do it by yourself. You need the team. The team has to be bigger than you. I don't care if you're the star player. If you got a bunt in the CIF championship game, you got a bunt. And I think it had a huge impact on players because it wasn't just the coaches that were kind of calling out these tendencies. Players would be like, hey, that's a real eye guy kind of statement got to put the team first. And this culture of team uh, took a scrappy team that has a history of losing all the way to the championship. It's hard for I guys to win, even if they're incredibly talented. But for team players, uh, they often find a way, even if they don't have as much skill. It takes a team to win. So I think the first thing we see is joyful community comes from being on the same team. We have to be a team. We have to be a team to find this community. But with that, joyful community doesn't mean that we have no differences. Point number two, joyful community doesn't mean that we don't have any differences or we have no differences. I don't know, double negatives. My, my, uh, my grammar guy was gone this week on vacation, so work with what you got. But the idea being, right... It, We don't need to fake it. Being a team, being a joyful community doesn't mean we just fake it. It can't be fake. We can't just pretend. Right? Paul's calling us to unity. But unity isn't pretending. It's not avoiding tough topics or avoiding what matters. He's calling us to unity, not uniformity. And I think those two things are are very different. Unity, what he's calling us to is is a deep respect and love for one another. Brothers and sisters, say, look, I, I've got something I, I disagree with you or, or we, we have other uh, different beliefs or something like that. How can we work through them? How can we use these for the betterment of the team? Uniformity basically says we all got to look the same, act the same, same beliefs, same standards, ethics, all this stuff. No difference is allowed. If you have a difference, we've got to cut it out, burn it, get rid of it. And so I saw this thing from Hillside Church, and I'll tweak it a little bit, but I thought it was super interesting because they used this example of, like, uniformity, uh, if you want a clear thing, kind of think of, like, a super strict HOA. Right? You've got the super strict HOA, and HOA calls for uniformity. Then every house has to look the same, right? They have to have the same basic color, design, landscaping, um, and if you deviate in any sort of way, um, you're going to be fined or you'll hear about it and you get those strongly worded letters slipped under your door um, or they'll start taking care of the problem themselves. So you can't deviate from the plan. And when we drive through these neighborhoods, uniformity sometimes can look really impressive. We're like, wow, all these houses look really nice. 
it's all coming together really well. And for them, it might be a little easier, right? Because you can spot differences and get rid of them quickly. But it doesn't create unity. Just think about how you felt when I said the word HOA. Probably wasn't super positive. There's not a unity element. Someone's an HOA president here and took that offensively. Sorry, not all of you are back. But uniformity seeks to eliminate differences, to create an environment of sameness. There's no room for that. But in unity, we're trying to use our differences to build each other up. I mean, Paul, even in in Ephesians, we get the other example of the body, right? He's not calling everyone to be eyes or nose, um, but instead use your giftings, whether they be different, together to build unity. And so Paul's not challenging us to give up our differences, to all look a certain way, to feel a certain way, act a certain way, pretend. He's not asking us to pretend. He's not asking us to be yes men, right? To give Pastor Jim whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Pastor Jim's not asking for that either. Okay, just a minute, yeah. Just double checking real quick. He's not asking for that either. But what we see is this call back instead to humility instead. We're not pretending there's no differences, but rather in humility, giving each other love and respect to work through them, to put our own uh, priorities to the side, our own pride to the side, to ask who comes first. And I think naturally when you, when you start to think about that, um, if this doesn't come to your mind, then it probably will now. But the challenge is, what about some people? Is it, is it everyone? So what about the people I don't like? What about the people who have hurt me? What about those Christians who have a different worldview or, or, or really uh, disagree with me on this one topic that's super important? Or what, how, do I, how do I do this? What about some people? And I think we see, like, uh, it's not meant to be easy. It is hard. And, and, and I think you even get in this passage in, in Philippians, we see it's only possible, unity is only possible if it's a response to Jesus' work. It has to be a response. And that's the third point right here. Community must be a response. It must be a response. In the first part of Philippians, you get this call to live lives worthy of the gospel. Second part, you kind of get this Christ-like mindset. But, but sprinkled throughout, especially the second chapter at the very beginning, you get a lot of response language. Right? Paul's saying, if, and, and he gives the example of Jesus. Right? He says, follow this mindset. Look what Jesus did for you. I think a lot of it in, in faith is respond to the great love that's already been given to you. You're not taking the first step. He's already done it. Just respond to that step. And respond through the Holy Spirit. Joyful community, it has to be a heart thing. It can't be a head thing. And joyful community has to be a response that we work through with the Holy Spirit. In in verses 1 through 2, in the the second chapter, we kind of get this response-like language where Paul says, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion, any sympathy, make my joy complete, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. It starts with verse 1 in a, in a response, right? If there is any of this encouragement. Paul's basically saying, since you have encouragement from Christ, move in this direction. Since your hearts are comforted, 
and full from his unconditional love that he's given to you freely. Now you, since you've partnered with the Holy Spirit, since you feel his, his leading, his direction, his prompting, now you can. Since he's, God's given you this tender compassion, move towards kindness. You see, joyful community is a heart overhead thing. But I want to I make sure we get something uh, clear because I think one place where we can struggle often is response and, and a heart response doesn't mean we get to be abstract. It doesn't mean we get to live up here in our thoughts and our feelings. It means we also have to be practical. As we get to part two, like uh, the, the, the two-part messages, really want to lean into the practical. Because I think it's one thing to say, you know, joyful community means the, these different things. Um, but it needs to lean into what, what, we, what we mean and do about that. Thinking others, thinking about others in the abstract sense is, is very insufficient. We've got to get down to what it looks like for real service, Right? We can't be um, celebrities who are in their multi-million dollar mansions singing Imagine as uh, the pandemic starts. Right? We need to actually start doing something. And so there was this philosopher who wrote an absolutely glowing piece about educating children. Uh, something that, that really moved people. But the challenge was he abandoned his own. So it was easy for him to love children from afar, in an abstract sense. But when it came to actual practice, that was something else. If we are responding to what Jesus has done, and to his example, we see that not only Jesus thought about others and taught about others, Jesus lived it. He became a servant. We notice as we read the four Gospels that Jesus is the one who is serving others. Even though he is king, even though he is Lord, he's not coming down, being sat on a chair, and everyone's carrying him around. Jesus is the one serving others. He is the one washing the disciples' feet. One thing I really love that we did as PCC uh, came back in fall. We did this hospitality series. We wanted to talk about welcoming um, and working through and and becoming unity in ourselves within the church. Um, And to go along with it, we did this challenge called 100 Tables. Uh, we did this challenge called 100 Tables, and the idea basically was, look, we don't want to just teach and talk about um, hospitality. We want to live it. And so the challenge was um, that us as a church would get 100 pictures of, of these tables, these meals, where we would go out, invite church members, uh, especially church members we may not know, um, neighbors, friends, work colleagues, classmates, whatever, to an intentional meal. Uh, to like Jesus often does, to break bread together, to to have a discussion with food, to get to know each other, uh, and actually live out the like hospitality sense. And I think that was so great because then we weren't just talking about it, we were doing it. And, And that was hard. But again, we were talking about actually creating practical community. And so my kind of question as we transition towards the end is, can we do it again? Not 100 tables, that was, that, that's a different thing, but can we respond practically? This is the call as we finish. PCC, we need to be a team. P- 
PCC, we need to be a team. And that means three things. PCC, we need to be a team. Number one, the first practical step in this means you need to join the team. We need to join the team. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, the, the first step is we need to become active members in this team. Uh, we need uh, people taking steps from just being kind of fans, sitting in the grandstands, cheering on, to being players on the field. And I think the first way to really do that, my encouragement is if you are not in one, join a home group. Sign up for a small group. Join a home group. Uh, be a part of a uh, uh, group here. Because coming on Sunday um, and, and, and joining service or joining online or sitting in the back, uh, we can have a tendency to kind of come, sit, listen, go home, turn off our TV, whatever it is, go throughout our week, come back and get in kind of this routine where, again, we're just kind of coming in and leaving. My encouragement, though, is, is Sunday morning is great, but if we stop there, we're not really fully joining the team. So I, I think the first thing is find a home group. Fill out your connect. Uh, talk to Pastor Bruce. Find a home group to be a part of. We need a bigger taste of community. Brandon Wright, there is this uh, 21-year-old student from uh, Utah State University. Uh, he was riding his motorcycle. He's driving to school. And as he's driving to school, a car pulls out of the parking lot, and they collide and crash. And it was actually a devastating crash. Uh, the vehicles caught on fire. And the driver of the car was able to quickly get out of the car and get to safety. Uh, but Brandon, the, the motorcycle driver, was caught. Caught under the car as the flames are going. Trapped under this 4,000-pound sedan. And there's a crowd of students and construction workers. They're watching and they saw the accident, and immediately they move over to the scene to see what's going on. And around the accident, uh, they, they see this motionless body laying underneath the car, and, and they're just assuming the worst. One individual, though, uh, is, is feeling heroic and steps up and tries to push the car and lift it. Uh, no success, though. One or two other try to help. Finally, uh, a woman climbs down, climbs under the car as it's on fire, checks to see if Brandon's alive, and as she does, she brings uh, heart and excitement and gets the crowd to rally around the car. Even though there was intense flames, dozens of members came flooding in to help lift this car up and pull him out from under it, saving Brandon's life. What one person was not able to accomplish on their own, a team of people did. My guess is this. Look, life is crazy often. It is easy for us to feel like there are times where there is a 4,000-pound sedan on fire sitting on top of us. And we often try to find ways to just push it up and get out of it alone. I don't want to bring people in. I don't want to make a scene. I can figure this out. And so we try by ourselves to figure out how to get out of this. But I think just like this incident here with this crash, oftentimes one person can't accomplish, a team of people can. Find a community. Find people to lean in with you. Find people to help you lift this burden. One thing that I really love about my young adult small group um, that meets on Tuesdays is uh, we start with fellowship, 
and we end with prayer. And so sandwiched between kind of like a Bible study time, we have fellowship and we have prayer. And so at the beginning, we're getting to know each other in, in, a, in a deeper way in each other's lives and what's going on. Hey, how's work going? What's happening with family? Stuff like that. It builds a connection, uh, and there's ways to know how to help and, and pray for each other, which is then fulfilled a little bit more towards the end. Now it's not just um, how do we talk to each other and hang out with each other and, and look, we're reading the Bible, but let's pray for one another. Let's be a part of one another. Hey, you're having a problem with your family member with something like this. Uh, you need to move your parents out of their house. We'll come and help. There's this community element. And so I encourage you, if you're not in a home group, mark your connect, talk to Pastor Bruce. He'll be up here. Find a way to be a part of one. The second practical thing is this. Be a team player, not an eye guy. Be a team player, not an eye guy. Remember, this is a team vision. It's not me, it's we. It's not you, it's y'all. There's no I in team. You all stand firm. You all strive together. You all look out for each other's interests. You all conduct yourselves in a, life, in a way worthy of the gospel. So I think kind of my practical challenge to you of this, of being a team player, right, of, 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 of being ready to lay down a bunt or, or to do something that, that you may not want to, that doesn't have the glory. Find a place to serve. You're in a small group? That's great. I love that. You're a part of the team. Awesome. Find a place to serve. Look, I'm not just up here trying to get the church free help, okay? Um, oftentimes we need it, but I'm not doing that. This is also for your own benefit. Find a place to serve. Serving grows your faith, and it grows your connection to the church, to the team. Uh, there's studies that, that are done and, and show that, um, that whatever the percentage is, it's super high. It's like 50 or 70% of youth leave the church after they graduate high school. Um, and so we have always done research and studies to figure out, well, what can we do about that? What can we do? How can we help? How can we fight that? And so one of the things we saw... Um, it's kind of a two-parter, and it builds off of this. One, we want to get the, the, the students to be a part of the team. We want to get them here on Sunday mornings, um, not just their own thing. So like Wednesday nights, that's where like the fun, the lights, the dancing with the worship, all the fun stuff, high fives, games happens. Sunday morning, we want to get people, especially as they get older in high school, in here in service. If their first time sitting in a church service is when they're in college trying to find their own church, a uh, hundred miles, thousand miles away from you, that's going to be a really hard ask. So we want to get kids comfortable with that early. But the second thing is we want to get kids to serve. We want them to get the buy-in in the team, to become team players. And so as you came in, you probably interacted with some of our students. Maybe as you came in, you, you got a, a worship folder from Lucas, one of our high schoolers handing it out. Uh, maybe when one of the mics cut out, you looked back at Bryce who's working on the sound team, who had nothing to do with the mic going out. Maybe as you have a kid, you dropped it off with Kaylin, who's over there helping out with kids. We have these kids working and serving in the team. The, the element is get them a part of the team, get them bought into the team. Now when they go off into college, they're not just sitting in church for the first time by themselves. They, they have a, a, a culture and a history of already knowing, this is what I do and this is what I love to do, and there's a purpose to it, and that brings joy. Finally, the third practical thing is this. Listen to the coach. Listen to the coach. 
I'm not the coach. We have the coach. Listen to the coach. In this passage, we looked at it especially last week, we got Coach's playbook. Verses 6 through 11. Got Coach's playbook. Well, 5 through 11. Imitate Jesus. That's Paul's challenge. And he illustrated it uh, through the example and the narrative of Jesus. Now, uh, people aren't sure about this. They debate on it. But, but several people do think that verses 6 through 11 um, could have been an early church hymn or poem, uh, something that people sang. I like that idea. I know it's, we're not 100% sure, but I really like it. Here's why. Not necessarily because it's like something cool, but because it comes with this really practical challenge to us. If this is something that they sing that Paul is adding in, what he's also saying is, remember what we sing. No. Live what we sing. Live what we sing. Yeah, Sunday morning worship or, or in the car as you're humming along to the radio or if you're listening to the Rise Conference playlist, hearing these songs and the worship songs, don't just fade out. Don't just let the melody come through and your mind wanders. Live what you sing. Remember what you sing. Uh, oftentimes on Sunday mornings, the first Sunday of the month, we, we gather for pancakes and prayer. And one of the things that we do often is called song studies. And so we'll print out the lyrics to worship songs, uh, stuff we sing here or at camps. And we go through the songs together and we look at the words and we ask, are these words we believe? Are these words we live out? And I think the idea is this. Listen to the coach. Live what we sing. A lot of times we sing some great theological and challenging stuff. But don't just let that be something we sing. Let's live it out. And so PCC, close with this. Find joy in community. Challenge is this. Be a team. Join a life group. Find a place to serve. Live what you sing. Let's pray. God, as we come before you uh, today looking again at this passage, just uh, we ask you to move us, Lord, to move us uh, practically, too, so that the, the stuff that we hear and we sing and we worship with, to you on Sunday um, isn't just stuff that makes us feel good individually or, or, or lasts in a moment, Lord, but stuff that moves our whole lives. So, God, we thank you for the unbelievable work and unbelievable love and uh, humility you've shown us, God. And so let that uh, impact our lives, change our lives. God, we are so grateful for your work. We praise you. Pray in your name. Amen.